We'll be reading from John chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, and then we'll skip over to verse 29 of the same chapter to 33. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to, uh, to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, uh, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he does, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said uh, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you, know, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you so much, Simon. Am I still turned off? I'm turned off. Thank you so much for that, Simon. I don't know if you've noticed how, as we're growing up, even now as adults, how difficult it is for us to be told things. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told how we should act. We don't like being told or instructed about what we are to be about, regardless of whether it's for our benefit or not. One of the things I want to share with you today from this passage, very similar to what Pastor John did last week when he shared from Romans chapter 12, there are only going to be three verses I'm going to concentrate on today. And what these three verses are, are three verses about Jesus telling us. Jesus telling us specific things. Jesus telling us these specific things for a specific purpose. And then Jesus telling us these specific things for a specific purpose in order for us to experience the ultimate solution. And so as we look at today, I want you to think about the context within which we find 
this passage. If you look at verse 1, these are the three verses we're going to look at. If you look at verse 1, in the NIV it says, I have told you so that you will not fall away. The first part of verse 4, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I've warned you about them. And then verse 33, I have told you. Everyone say, I have told you. I've told you. Parents say this all the time. You don't have to say it in my way. <laughs> but I've told you. I've told you this. I've told you over and over again. I've told you this for a specific reason. In verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now it has been said to be forewarned is to be forearmed. My nephew, Nelson. Uh, I love my Nelson. Nelson, if you're watching. Hey, Tico. Good to see you. Well, I don't see you, but you know what I mean. My, my, my nephew Nelson, he's my nephew that I, I don't terrorize, but I, 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 pl I play games with him. So I would often sit there and I would stare at him. I just like, and then he would look at me, like, oh, and, and I would freak him out. And, and I did some really weird things. I shared the story once before. I went walking with my dad about six o'clock in the morning. I went past my sister's house and I said, oh, dad, I just got to go, go see Nelson. So I, I, I knew where Nelson was sleeping. So I knocked on Nelson's window and he opened the curtains and I'm just standing there. <laughs> and he was like, oh, and he freaks out. He giggles to himself. And then, I, then he closes the curtain and I, I ran off. My sister told me he went to open the door to let me in. But when he opened the door, I was gone. And he's like, Uncle Joe? <laughs> Uncle Joe. And so from then on, he's sort of keeping an eye out. So he always asks my sister, is Uncle Joe coming? Is Uncle Joe coming? And so when I was going to New Zealand just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I said to my sister, don't tell Nelson I'm coming. Don't tell Nelson. He just, and so he's always asking. Now, when I, when I got there, my wife said, oh, I told him. My, my sister said, I told him. I'm like, oh, Charlene, why'd you do that? But I, I, love, my ne I love my nephew heaps. He's, he's like one of my, I think, I shouldn't say this online, but he's my favorite nephew. Eh? He's, he's really cool. I, I, love, I, I, love, I love him a lot. Okay? But when you're, when you're forewarned about something, you're forearmed. He knew I was coming, so he, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for Uncle Joe this time around. What Jesus is doing here as he's talking to his disciples is that he is forewarning them. He's forewarning them of a reality that, is going to be, that they are going to experience. And in a similar way, we can apply those exact same realities to us as well. So when you look at this first verse, he says, all this, all this I have told you. When he says all this, what he is, refer what, what he is referring to is things like this, the upper room example that we looked at several weeks ago. The upper room example, when he sets this example by washing the disciples' feet, and it says in verse 15 that he sets an example that you, his disciples, should do as I, Jesus, have done for you, of service, of humility, of sacrifice. He tells them about his betrayal by Judas in verse 26 to 28 of that same chapter. And he's warning them, I have told you these things. I've told you that I'm going to be betrayed by the one that I'm going to give this bread to and dips it in with me. I'm telling you about my trial. I'm telling you about my denial by Peter. I'm telling you these things. He tells them all of this in chapter 13. And you see how even the closest of the close can betray. I tell you about even the professed strength, strongest of the strong can fail. Tells you, and he says, I've told you all this. 
He tells them in chapter 14, and he says to them the encouragement of his presence and his position and his position as, as God. He says, You believe in God, believe also in me. Because why John 14 6? Because I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That in every aspect of life, as shared by Adam Ismail months ago, I am the way to God. I am the truth about God. I am the life of God. And he says he goes, all this I have told you. I have told you. He goes, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. He talks about this whole idea of belonging, of belonging to the Father, of belonging to his family, of belonging to his commonwealth. He goes, I have told you all these things. And then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, peace, peace. In verse 27, I give to you my peace. I give to you not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. And he says this, this I have told you. I've told you where security lies. I told you where peace lies. I told you where all these things can be found. That's in me. And then in chapter 15, he speaks and says, he goes, the security of being connected to the true vine from which we have life and from which we can produce fruit. And that if we remain in him, then to the Father's glory, we bring forth much or an abundance of fruit. That's 15, 5 and 15, 7 and 8. And now this is, I like this line. All this I have told you. Everyone say that. All this I have told you. He's preparing them for the uncertain. He's preparing them for reality. He's preparing them for the, I guess you could say, the responsibility of following himself because he he shares these encouragements and these comforts he shares these corrections and these challenges he shares this these admonitions he says all this i have told you not so that you can be in the know not so that you can sit there and be full of information but he says so that you will not fall away I'm telling you all these things. I've set this example that you should serve as I've served by washing feet in humility. I've told you about my betrayal. I've told you about my denial. I've told you about how I am, uh, that you should take heart and be not afraid. I told you that your security is in me. I've told you that if you remain connected to me, that, that you'll have life and you'll bring forth fruit and abundance. I've told you all these things so that you will not fall away, so that you'll not trip up so that you'll not turn, turn your back. Jesus is telling him all these things so that when hardship comes, when hardship comes, not if, when hardship comes, when persecution arises, when pressure increases, when rejection occurs, when isolation is experienced, and when discrimination hits, that we would not fold like paper, that we would not crumple like tinfoil, that we would not fall away, but rather on all these things I told you, I would stand strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Ephesians 6.10. You see, falling away is something that we are all susceptible to. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter what status you have. It doesn't matter what position you hold in the church. We are all susceptible to fall, and we've seen it. You have Christian musicians who have sat there and proclaimed the name of Jesus that have turned their backs on God. 
We've had pastors caught in sin as they commit adultery and then make a claim that they love God in their adultery. You have churches that have crumpled because they've argued over the colour of the carpet. We have, we, have, we have all these things that have caused us as believers to fall away. And, and it, what's crazy, well, it's not crazy. It, it's, oh, I don't want to say pathetic. That's the wrong word. It's sad. It's sad that we would allow things to take our eyes off the beauty of Jesus, even though he's told us all these things and decided to turn our backs on the beauty of who he is. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 talks about how the son of perdition, uh, the, the man of Satan, won't be revealed unless there comes a falling away first. And that falling away is becoming more and more evident as we look around today. There's this falling away from the word of God as being the final authority. There's this falling away of personal and corporate holiness as the people of God. There's this falling away from godly standards. There's this falling away of living for his glory alone. So the charge of this verse that, that, that Jesus gives to his disciples and that applies to us is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Listen up. Behold. Behold what he has said. Hold on to what he has told us. Know it, yes. Understand it, yes. And then walk with Jesus in them. What, you, know, you know what I call walk with Jesus in them? You know what I call that? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God says in his word, obedience. And that's the thing that we don't like to be told. We don't like to be told you have to do this. You don't like to be told, I'm not saying you, I don't like to be told. I don't like to be told that I've got to change. I don't like to be told that I've got to repent. I don't like to be told that I've got to give something up. I don't like to be told that I've got to turn my back on the things that, that, that please my flesh. I don't like being told that but that's what I'm told. And Jesus tells me that, why? So that I will not fall away. And that's what we're to hold on to. What he has told us, that's the first thing. He tells us these things because it's easy to fall away. What does the scriptures teach? Was it, uh, you have to be careful. If anyone thinks he stands, why? Lest he falls. Pride becomes uh, yeah, pride, before, uh, uh, pride cometh before a fall, and a haughty spirit comes before one cast down. That's what happens. And that's what we need to hold on to. So right here is something that we can take off and hold to. We hold to what Jesus told us, what Jesus tells us in his word. That's the first thing. He tells us these things so we won't fall away. Second thing is a warning. First part of verse four. He says, I have told you this. And this is the warning. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. The warning is regarding the consequence of faithfully walking with Jesus, of faithfully following after him, of obeying him. That's what he says here. And he goes, this is warning. And, and, and the reason for people to fall away, because it becomes this threat. He goes, they will put you out in verses 2 and 3. I'll put it up there. 
in verses 2 and 3, he says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they were doing a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Now, the synagogue in Jesus' day was a place of gathering and a place of discussion. It was a place of status and a place of prestige. The synagogue was the central point of the Jewish life. It had such weight in society that when people were threatened to be put out of the synagogue, it would scare them, literally. John chapter 9, verse 22, when they were asking how the blind man was healed, and they asked his parents. And they said to him in verse 22 that they're going to be put out of the synagogue if they can't give them a clear answer. What do they do? They push the responsibility of the answer from themselves and say, he is of age. Ask him. It's got nothing to do with us. He's an adult now. Deal with him. Don't put us out of the synagogue. That held a lot of weight for them. A threat that, in the case of one's trust in Jesus, could result in, say, us losing or being put out of certain things as well. See, it's pretty serious because when we see such threats made today, we see them take different shapes, but they're the exact same thing. We might be told, don't speak about Jesus publicly, or you could lose your job. Don't represent Jesus boldly, because you're looked at as a bigot or as narrow-minded. Don't preach the gospel that says that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived sinlessly, died brutally, raised victoriously, and if you don't believe in him for the salvation from your sin and the forgiveness of sin, then you're going to go to hell. If you preach that, that's considered hate speech. How they're trying to outlaw the gospel and preaching the gospel, even in Australia today. Don't, don't value biblical marriage. And so that marriage is designed between a man and a woman to today's society because then you can be cancelled or that you can be cast out or that you can be viewed as intolerant. That's, these are the things that are taking shape today. This, this is our being put out of the synagogue and what we're willing to compromise on for the sake of a, a more easier life or a life where we can advance or a life where we can receive the promotion. Now... We sit there and we talk about, I would never do that. We don't know. You don't know. Once you're put in that situation, it's really hard to say, oh, well, it, it, it could mean my children's livelihood. It could mean my children might be doing something. And, and so we're confronted. When you're in such a position where you're reliant on your job, when there are real-life consequences to major issues, then, yeah, compromising, turning away, staying silent, falling away can be considered genuine options for your benefit and the benefit of your family, the, the here and now that we can look at. For example, this guy here, Demas. Demas, as you read in different areas in the scriptures, in Demas, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, we read how that he has forsaken Paul, forsaken the gospel. Why? Having loved this present world. There was something that the world was attractive to him. You have, uh, I don't know how to say those names, but we have the destruction of these two guys. And how they desert Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 
You have all of this. See, this is all the more reason for us as God's people to know, to understand, and to hold on to all these things that Jesus has told us. And it, and it gets to this point where, as referred to in the verse, that there are people who think they are in the right. They think they're doing God's work by being progressive. They think they're doing God's work by, by telling you not to talk about the gospel. They think they're doing God's work because they, they, they say love is love and it's all-encompassing. They think they're doing God's work by compromising the values of God's word and the truth of God's word. They think they're doing God's work when they sit there and harass you for speaking up for truth for holding Jesus Christ as precious, for acknowledging him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And they think they're doing God's work when they're telling you, Joe, shut up. Joe, no one's ever told me that, but I'm sure people will. But they, they sit there and they think they're doing God's work by restricting you. That's the reality of what we're facing today. Now, please, don't get me wrong. I, I am not trying to, to create a us versus them mentality. What I want us to understand is that we have to be a people that hold on to the things Jesus has told us, to hold on to Jesus himself, and to cling on to him with all we got. Because in the darkness of this world, he is the light that leads us home safely. He is where we find that comfort. You'll find that the people that attack you would be celebrated while you'll be condemned. But know this, James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, I just need to clarify something. The word, the word world here, when it refers to humanity, as in John chapter 3, verse 16, we love people as God loves people. But when the world here means a prevailing attitude of hostility toward God and toward his ways, then we should reject it. Because when we're tolerant of such attitudes, when we're tolerant of such, uh, such ideas and ideologies against God, then we open ourselves up to spiritual danger. Which is why the third thing, the solution I was mentioning, is so important and so valuable and what to be held on to. And that's in verse 33. See, the third thing Jesus tells his disciples is so, so important and carries with it so much comfort, so much strength, so much encouragement. Because what he says is, yes, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, in a world full of turmoil and uncertainty, in a world full of chaos and conflict, I can confidently say that peace is what people are looking for. People are looking for Peace in financial trouble, peace in relationship trouble, peace in career trouble, in political trouble. Peace meaning the absence of conflict, the absence of pressure, the absence of attack. Peace. But that peace isn't reached by our human means because Jesus says this. He says, all this I've told you, in this world, you will have trouble. You won't get peace in the world. You will have trouble. But that means through 
which one, okay, but the means, should I say, the means through which one receives and experiences peace is laid out in these two words. In me, in me, you will have peace. In me. Do you understand that it's not in the more finances? See, financial peace isn't attained by having more finances and access to more finances. It's not attained by having a secure home, or whatever, which is a wonderful thing to have. Please don't get me wrong, but that's not how you attain peace because you can lose your home, you can lose your job, you can lose your possessions. And The way things are going in the world today, if you're a Christian, that's becoming more evident that you'll be the people that have things taken from them. I feel like I'm doing an us and them thing. That's not my intent. Okay, I'll, I'll clarify that in a minute. But relationship peace, career peace, or political peace isn't found in some 10-step or 12-step program. It's not found in any of these things that we could endeavor or, or that we can seek to improve ourselves or in any of these sorts of ways. He says that it is in me peace is gained. It is in, is it in me, it is in Jesus that peace remains. Years ago, years ago, oh, oh, this is when we are at West Pennant Hills, I shared a message from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It was a wonderful, uh, that sounds terrible because it was my message, yeah. It was a wonderful sermon. I preached a wonderful sermon back in, and uh, it was uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and it was a, Christ, it was a Christmas message. But I was looking at the, the beautiful titles of who Jesus is. How he is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You look at all of those things and how every aspect. And so when you look at that, this is who Jesus Christ is. When he says, in me, in me, he addresses every aspect of your life. In me, he addresses life's dullness. In Psalms 77, 13 and 14, he says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great, like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. He is our God of wonders. One of my favorite Bible verses is Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, which I've quoted so many times when he says, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. As Joshua speaks to the people, Consecrate to yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He is a God of wonders who desires to work wonders in each of your hearts. Why? Because He is wonderful. He addresses the dullness of life. And, with, and, and honestly, with all the activity that we have available to us, all the entertainments we have available to us, with all the, the, all the fun things that we have available to us, we have the highest rate of mental illness and depression today than we ever have in the past. Why? Because with access to so many things, people are still looking for some type of excitement. When you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is known as the perpetual wonder, the perpetual novelty of whom his grace and his mercy and his love is inexhaustible. He is wonderful. He is full of wonder. That is who our Lord Jesus is. He is our counselor through whom the uncertainty of life is addressed. We know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does it say in verse 6? In all your ways acknowledge him and what? He will direct your paths. He'll direct you. He'll lead you to where you need to be. He counsels you. He gives you his word, his wisdom, his mind for you to live in the fullness of what he has given in himself. We read how he is the mighty God. 
that through whom the weakness of our lives is addressed. Weakness. I have never felt so weak in, 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 20, in 2017 when Em went through what she did. And I've shared this before, but I remember feeling so weak because there was nothing I could do. And it doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter how much money you had, there was nothing I could do. And I remember when my brother Jono came and prayed for me that day and just how comforting it was. Even, even this past week, even this past week, I, I come along and I ask the brother, can you just pray for me? It's been a hard week. I've just, I feel like I've been under attack. Just, can you just pray for me? And just, and just having the ability to do that, that in my weakness... God made his strength evident through the help of my brother who prayed for me. That, that's just amazing to be able to experience that in the, from, in the person of Christ through you, his people. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We read how he is our everlasting father through whom belonging in life is addressed. People are looking to identify, and you see the tribalism that's taking place. I'm watching the Rugby World Cup at the moment, and you see the tribalism that takes place when you just have all these people like getting together. You see that uh, today was Ireland versus Scotland, and you see all the green jerseys in the, in the stands, and just like, it was like, yeah, Ireland! And all the Scottish people going, yeah, Scotland! And then Scotland got smashed. Yeah, anyway, that's, I don't want to start talking about rugby. I will, I will see later. But you just have all of these things. There's tribalism that takes place. You have tribalism taking place online. You have tribalism taking place in society, all that sort of stuff. People are looking for something to belong to. And to know that we belong to the family of God, that we can cry out, as in Galatians 4, 6, because you are his sons and daughters, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, that we can call him our Father. Lastly, the Prince of Peace, through whom the turmoil of life is addressed. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, this is where we find every aspect of our lives summed up, encompassed, wrapped up, our identity, everything about us, from life's dullness to uncertainty, to, to our weakness, to our belonging, to, to our turmoil, all of that is summed up in that one, in those two words, in those two words in verse 33, in me. That's where it is. He is telling us that in him we find our fulfillment. In him we find our contentment. In him we find our purpose. In him and in him alone we find our salvation. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. You won't fall away and give in because things aren't going your way. You won't fall in and give in because you had a promotion skipped over. You won't fall away and give in because things are hard and difficult. No, no, because in him you find peace. In him you find life. In him you find fulfillment. That's what he's told us. He's telling us now to prepare us because things are going to get harder. They will get harder. And when they do, it is only in him that we'll not only navigate, but come through the other end for his glory. And with that, brothers and sisters, I want us to pray. But I want us to pray for each other.
So I'd just like for everybody's here, just whoever you're next to, just to pray. Pray about what God has been speaking to your heart about. Pray about those things that have been attacking you. Pray about those things that might be something that would trip you up, that would cause you to fall away. As you look at life and what's going on around you, pray about how you represent Jesus Christ in your job. Pray about the struggles that you might be having in your relationship with your spouse or even with your kids. Pray about those things and that in Jesus, we might find the solution to be the men and the women and the children and the employees and the employers and the community members and the friends that bring glory to his name because it's in him we find the answer. Okay? So the next couple of minutes we'll pray. I'll just let you go pray and then I'll come up and I'll pray to close. Okay? Thanks. You guys can keep praying afterwards. I'm just going to close in prayer. If you want to keep praying, I would encourage you to pray for somebody as well afterwards. But yeah, don't let me interrupt you. I'm just going to close in prayer. And if you want to carry on praying, you can. But I would encourage you to, not just today, but even throughout the week, keep praying for somebody else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have told us these things so that we would not fall away that you have warned us of these things so that we might stand strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. And Lord, that you have given us peace and that in the world we will have trouble, but in you we'll have peace because you have overcome the world. So we thank you for the beauty of this passage. We thank you that your presence dwells among us in your Holy Spirit and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So we ask you to dismiss us now. And thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice that he has made. Thank you that he rose again and conquered death and that you have made us your children through faith in him. So may you be glorified as we move on from this day and may you continue to draw us to yourself. And please, Lord, please stir within us a hunger for righteousness that can only be satisfied in you. And we ask this, In Jesus' mighty name, amen.